Hello, listeners of Talk With Me. This is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, on a beautiful spring, almost summer morning. Looking forward to today's conversation, and I hope you are too. Um, today is a conversation with a poet, which means there'll be some poetry shared. This poet is connected with some poets who I know has some performances coming up, lots of good things going on. So I want to just jump right into today's show and welcome my guest, who is Kat Giordano. Hey, Kat, how are you? Great. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm glad to do this. And we can thank Jameson Bales for connecting us. Yeah, definitely. Jameson, who has been a Kansas City poet and event organizer, who's going to become a Pennsylvania person soon. <laughs> yeah. Kind of exciting. Things changing around. So um, to start the show, tell us a little bit about you. I know that you've sent me information and you've got an impressive amount of stuff you've already done, but but tell our listeners a little bit about you. So I'm 22. I just graduated from Penn State Barron, which is located in Erie, PA. I just got a degree in creative writing. Um, I'm a poet. I'm also a musician. Um, recently, so fall of 2016, I was one of five finalists for Erie County Poet Laureate. Um, and then I also have a few publications and a manuscript that's going around. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. 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 So since you've done all this and recently completed a college degree, one thing that tells me is that you're somebody who can do a lot <laughs> at the same time, because <laughs> I'm sure college degree and writing and some work to help pay for expenses and who knows what all else, hopefully some fun in there too. So in terms of your writing, and, and having, you know, again, a lot that you've already done, I'm going to guess that you've been writing for a long time. So I'm, I am always interested in people's history about that. When did you start writing? And, and I know you're also a musician. We'll get to talk about that too. But to start with the poetry. Um, when did you start writing, whether it was journaling, poetry, you know, stories, whatever? Well, I'm sure a lot of people say this, but honestly, it's really been as long as I can remember. I think even... Even before I was really able to write poetry or really understood what poetry was in even like a basic way, um, even as an elementary school student, I was really, really involved with writing stories. I have like shelves and shelves of journals and diaries. You know, I, it's really something that's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. So That's really interesting to me because for some people, it's like that's nothing that I would ever imagine doing. And for other people, it's been important for a long time. So what what do you think prompted you like what how did you even get that idea that of writing do you i mean are you hmm. people that you are around are writers you read a lot i mean what what do you think was the the way that it even became such an important option for you well i think part of it is is the the kind of school system that i went to i went to public school and i was really fortunate because i know this isn't true everywhere but the, the school district that I went to placed a huge emphasis on reading and writing. And we even had, I think, over the course of the time that I was in grade school, we even had a few authors come in, um, like children's book authors come in that spoke to us. And I think that made a huge impression on me. And mm -hmm. I think part of it as well is just, it was something that, you know, I was fortunate enough to have parents and teachers encourage me when I started doing it. And so it was something that I, you know, realized other people saw value in. So it was something I just pursued over time. And then my, my kind of love for it and enthusiasm for it changed as I got older and sort of 
all a little bit more personal meaning, but I think definitely encouragement from, you know, older people in my life was definitely what kept me going at first. Mm-hmm. So like with, with writing in terms of things like journals and diaries, did, do you remember somebody giving you a journal or diary uh, or just that was something that you, you knew you wanted and so you made it happen, you know? I think part of it was maybe just watching I watched I watched a lot of TV when I was growing up and it was something that like girls my age and TV shows and things like that always had journals and diaries and I and I was like oh I want that that that's something that I want to do and I do remember my parents used to buy me these little journals from the dollar store uh-huh. and I would you know just fill them up so quickly and have to buy me more so that's cool. Did you have a preference for what they needed to be in those early days? Do you remember? Like, was there a certain kind of old journal that you really liked to write in? One with a lock on it. Uh-huh. I always wanted one. I didn't have that many secret things to write about, but at my young age, I was like, I really want something with a lock on it that's private and personal. So the ones they would get me would have would have a lock on it and this little tiny key, but I think everyone knew that it didn't really work. But that was something that I, you know, I found really important back then. That's sweet. (laughs) Did you hide it under your mattress like they sometimes did in the shows? (laughs) Yeah, I think I just hid it under my bed. I'm not sure why I thought that was a great hiding place, but. (laughs) That's great. How interesting, you know, to think about how TV encouraged you to write, because a lot of people would say TV encouraged me to watch more TV. (laughs) (laughs) sure that's true as well but <laughs> I like it so at this point do you have certain things that you like to write on um, like are there I mean types of journals or do you only write on your phone or you know things like that a little bit of everything honestly I think for poetry a lot of what usually happens is I'll get a quick idea for a line or an image and I, I'll put it in the notes section of my phone mm-hmm. and right now it probably has you know, hundreds of little tiny snippets of things, some of which are never going to get used. And then Mm -hmm. other than that, normally I just prefer to write on my computer because it kind of gives me the sense of security that I'm not going to lose anything. Mm -hmm. And, and then I I do still keep a journal. That's the one thing I do keep. That's, that's a hard copy that I physically write on just because I like the, I feel like there's something about being able to purge your thoughts physically Uh into an object that's, that's important. But other than that, I just prefer to type everything because it's honestly a little bit more convenient. So, so are you great about backing up your stuff since you like? Oh yeah, different? I've learned I've learned some lessons. So, <laughs> so now I am, but in the past maybe not so much. We just watched. I, don't, I can't think of the name of it right now. Oh, the name is Patterson. Patterson, yeah, Patterson, a Jim Jarmusch movie that is about this guy who has been writing poetry and not sharing it yet, but his wife is is longing to to hear more of it and trying to get him to to at least photocopy his his secret notebook of poetry. And there's this devastating scene that's basically at the end of the movie where their dog has eaten up the Oh no. Yes. It's like, oh my God. And there's as the viewer, there's a teeny bit of hope. Like, so did he actually follow through and have this stuff <laughs> before this happened? Because he had promised his wife he was gonna do it that weekend. And and you realize that nope, 
those words are gone. Oh, wow. Start again. But that's that's painful. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh, oh, oh. And I had a friend, oh my goodness, where somebody stole her uh, laptop where she had been writing for so many years. You know, it's like, who does this stuff? You know, and I don't know. So it's that, that's why I'm, I asked that question about backup because it's so <laughs> important, you know, and sometimes we, we take it for granted that we're always going to have access to our stuff, you know, and then definitely. And then you've got those old school po poets who long ago might have backed up their computer onto discs. It's like, great. Those aren't useful for anything now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We'll read that technology. We don't have such a thing as floppy disks and, you know, all the and even the hard disk. You know, it's 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 an interesting thing. How do we how do we save our words? And is it possible that actual words on paper are the most secure? I don't know. Could be. Yeah, yeah. So, is your journal a certain kind of journal? Like, are you particular about what what you write on in that? Uh, not really. Um, people just tend to buy them for me as gifts, especially if they don't know me very well. They figure out like she's a writer; she'll want this, and they're right. Uh -huh. um, so I just kind of use use the ones that are around that people buy me. I don't think I've had to buy a journal for myself in a very long time <laughs> because I just have a stockpile. <laughs> That's great. How about your pens? Because I'm asking these questions because, one, I'm generally interested, and two, I, I am aware, of, for me, the difference in what I write pen on paper and what I write on the computer, and there are different, there are different aspects of that. But I have pens that I like and pens that I don't like. And so how about you? Do you have a certain type of pen that you like to use? Or is that as flexible as the type of journal? I don't know that there's a certain type of pen. But I do notice that when I have one that's particularly nice, I just feel more compelled to write, which I think is interesting. Like, uh -huh. like it just gives me that feeling of, I guess, being young and getting your supplies. for. And I, I love school. So maybe just me but getting your supplies for the beginning of the school year and being excited to like fill up all your notebooks and I get that same kind of feeling but I don't really go out of my way to sort of obtain that it's just something that happens and it's nice when it does happen <laughs> well it's probably good that you're pretty easy going about this stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> so with your notes on your phone like I I it's that that is like for youth notes on your phone. I, I remember talking, I believe it was Joan Cormonte, who's a, a poet in Topeka, who has like a basket for pieces of paper that have those notes. And, you know, people have different places where they put those. Do you do you often end up writing from those snippets or is it more kind of a theory that at some point I will? But actually what I'm writing is coming separate from that. I think for the most part, it does come separate, but I do, sometimes I look back and I realize that there's images or thoughts that I've had that just in passing that I've recorded that I didn't actually go back and look at them and, and use them as an inspiration for a poem or anything like that, but they do definitely come through. And I mm -hmm. think the experience of writing something down and, and recording it and, you know, enforcing to yourself that it's important, it does kind of cement it in your mind somewhere so that it comes up, but I think it's in a more indirect way than just kind of looking through them and trying to mine something from that. Interesting, interesting. Do you, have you seen shifts in, in what you're writing about, even, you know, since you've finished school and you don't have all this pressure with deadlines from school? You know, are there, are there markers for you that I was writing about this and then it changed to this at different points in your life? 
Um, I think somewhat, because since I was studying poetry, I was reading a lot of different poets. And then this past year, I was working on my thesis. I was working on a book-length project where my, my professor and my advisor were giving me books to read and encouraging me to kind of experiment with style and emulate some things. And now I'm kind of on my own a bit, where I'm just kind of experimenting on my own. So I think the subject matter has, has changed somewhat, but also just the form and the way that I approach writing poems has changed because I'm a little bit, um, you know, more on my own and not, you know, as guided as I was. Mm -hmm. And and so, again, I'm struck by, as you started the, the introduction, you know, you're 22, you, you graduated from college, you'd already been um, considered to be the County Poet Laureate. Um, you, you've done a lot, and to me, that takes a lot of confidence. And, and I'm wondering at what point did it become something that you felt comfortable sharing? Because I, I think that's a big leap when one starts actually sharing the writing as opposed to writing it and, you know, and working on it privately. Oh, well, I think, I think it might be an exception to this because I think I don't, I'm, I'm the kind of person I'm very, um, I guess I could call myself an open book. I, I like sharing with people. And so even when I was in, in middle school and I was writing these poems that were, you know, they were really trite poems about boys or something, but I, I always wanted to share them still. I always would show them to my friends and they wouldn't know what to really say about it. But I just always liked, I liked the idea of, of a poem or even a story when I used to write fiction more as, as a method of communication. So it's always been something that's been sort of like inherently involved with the process for me. But, but I definitely think at some point during my college career, I, it was really, that was when I decided that my work was, was good enough that I could justify sending it out to journals and literary magazines and see, you know, how it fared on the larger scale. And I think part of that is probably just just reading a lot more poetry. But so, d did you do? Have you done a lot of readings as well as submitting for publication? You've been doing readings for a while too. Oh, not actually. Um, I, the first reading I ever did was actually the poet laureate competition, and then there were two more. I read at a uh, an academic convention in Erie um, this past winter, and then. I had my, my senior thesis reading, and then I have this reading coming up in July that you'd mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, and that's really my only experience with reading, so I'm really excited to sort of see what happens in Buffalo. Cool. Because you're going with a pretty high-power crew there. In oh, Buffalo. yeah. We didn't, we didn't say the specifics yet, but um, this is an event coming up on July 22nd, and and I love that. You know, as I'm looking at the names, the names who, who I recognize, um, that the that the evening is hosted by Nathaniel William Stolte from Cringeworthy Poets Collective. Um, Nathaniel and I did a show a while ago, and so I, I have this image from from the various pictures I've seen of him because we've not met in person, and then and then our talk together, you know, and of course Jameson Bales, who's the one who introduced mm -hmm. us. Um, Steve Brightman, you know, had him on the show, Jason Baldinger. So it's like, this is pretty cool that I, I love the connections. That's, that's to oh, me yeah. a big part of the appeal of poetry is what I see is this community building with poetry and other arts. And, and to me, um, that's always important, but it's even more important, 
um, honestly, since the election, it's even more important than it. Oh yeah, definitely. Most recently, and and we're hearing, you know, right now that the date we're recording, there's so much controversy over how some comedians have, um, you know, expressed themselves, and and so it's like this interesting thing to me that somebody has to be willing to 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 push um, and not be afraid to share thoughts. Um, and, and I think that's from what I gather historically, that's been one of the roles of artists of different kinds, you know, definitely uh, sure. Thinking outside of what is being urged on, um, people from whatever power above. So this is, this is an interesting time. Have you, have you done some poetry that you think really has a different flavor because of the election and changes that happened? Um, I think it's interesting because I was, when I was, you know, starting to write my thesis um, was right when the election happened. And I, most of what my thesis and now my manuscript sort of deals with are issues of gender and how the dynamic between men and women is represented in art and then especially in poetry. Um, and I think even though those were topics that I was already concerned with, just having that mm-hmm. backdrop of mm-hmm. the current, you know, social, political sort of climate that we're in gives mm-hmm. the poems a kind of different context mm-hmm. and changes. It gives them a, a new kind of urgency, I think, yeah. whereas before it was just somewhat of a personal, um, you know, hobby horse of mine that I was really interested in exploring. And now that feels like there's really something at stake in, in talking about those things. And there's really something there that's important. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I would love to have you share a poem now. We've, we've been talking about you as a writer, but to, to hear a little bit of your poetry now would give some context. And I'm wondering, are you ready to do that? Sure, yeah. Great, thank you. Um, so this first one is um, actually, I just had this poem come out in the latest issue of the Cincinnati Review, um, which just was announced last week. I actually haven't even gotten my copy yet, so I don't know if, <laughs> if it's even actually, actually hit anyone yet. But um, so this is called You Let a Snake Loose in My House. You let a snake loose in my house, forgetting that every snake is actually dozens. You let a snake loose in my house and balked when one day I pulled 17 from my purse like a chain of colorful handkerchiefs. You let a snake loose in my house without thinking of the others who let their own snakes loose in my house, of the way those snakes would love each other, their eggs piling in the corners of my room, their spawns snaking unseen behind the walls until nightfall when they'd squirm out of hiding and collect in wriggling knots and knit together a trembling afghan of snakes and hold me down with their scaly bodies as they'd prick my flesh in my sleep. You let a snake loose in my house and nearly lost your mind when one squeezed its way out of the shower head and slid down limp and seizure-like, circling the drain. You were so mad, you turned the water off and left dripping wet and barefoot, stopping through the carpet of snakes in the hallway to tell me that you'd found something disturbing in my bathroom, that you'd been a gentleman and tossed it outside for me, that this was my only warning and you'd leave me if I ever did something like that to you again. <laughs> That's that one. <laughs> yeah. And and so when did you write that one? Uh, I wrote that one actually, I guess, a little less than a year ago and submitted it shortly after it actually just came out, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And how do you see it now? 
I think I see it. I, I originally saw this poem as sort of a personal sort of inward looking. Um, I was frustrated with the way in which um, the actions of, of people, especially, you know, the dynamic between men and women, how those actions are seen as just momentary individual actions. And it's not usually considered how those actions build upon each other and the kind of um, precedent that they set and create. And now I think that's even more relevant today because it's obvious that, at least to me, that some of the issues that are being brought to light have been stewing for a very long time. Yeah. And there are still a lot of people who maybe don't see that that's been an ongoing sort of process and or aren't able to see the big picture and how those you know events from the past have kind of built and escalated into what's going on now so mm -hmm. so are you also pretty overtly politically active like are there some things that that you're doing differently both because you have a little bit more time flexibility without school and also because of things going on in this country and in the world. Do you do that mostly through your I, art or do you do that in other ways too? I think it, it's interesting what you said before about um, how I, you know, people have to be willing to step up and say things and push, mm -hmm. and, you know, talk about issues that other people aren't talking about. And I think I, I really had a moment with myself at some point in the past year where I, where I realized you know, this is the, the kind of crossroads where you have to decide which kind of person you are, or if you're mm -hmm. the kind of person who's going to be passive and not call out things that they find problematic or call out things that, you know, they take issue with, or are you going to, you know, be someone who, who you know, stands up. And, and I think for me, I always hovered on the fence with that because I, I, I feel very strongly about a lot of things, but I also feel very strongly about, you know, maintaining connections with people and not burning purchase. But I definitely feel like now I've become a little more emboldened to sort of speak up about things when I hear things, you know, just on in an individual level in conversation, mm -hmm. I kind of recognize the effect that that's had kind of reverberating, you know, through large groups of people and creating these attitudes that are really harmful. And so I feel like I've definitely been more apt to stand up. I'm not sure that that's all that I could be doing, but that's definitely something that's changed. Yeah, and I, th I think that willingness to speak up in situations in our lives, I think that's really important. And I think there are different ones of us. I mean, I, I look at myself and people I know, and, and there are some people whose, whose place is really at the level of um, broad action, you know, who, who are really involved in, in things that have big effects, big affecting a large number of people. And there are some of us who can find that the place we can help the most is on that day-to-day -day basis on with people and, you know, with, with being a person who, as we say, stands up and not stands by, you know, when things happen. And, and sure, I think yeah. to me, it's, it's important that we all do something, you know, for whatever, our belief system is um, to help this be a better world, um, but it's and it has to be different for different people. And I think that's really great. And and I do think again that art is a big part of that. You know, I see with connections of of people that I have across the country and more that are you know involved in different things. And I think of 
you know, I think of things that are that are sweet and tender and things that are confrontational and, and I think both are important. Um, I remember um, my friend, poet uh, Rob Plath, who's in New York, sent me a picture really soon after the election that was in subways in New York City where where artists had had started um, this this thing and and of posting notes of love and kindness in the subway stations. And so they were leaving these post-it notes and covering, you know, walls were getting covered with people's notes you know, oh, wow. of love and support. And it's like, and that started, you know, by artists, you know, saying we, you know, we need to show this, you know, we don't um, have the, the, the luxury of just standing by. And, and sometimes what we need to do is, is blatant love as opposed to, you know, that more combative stance. And sometimes we need both and different ones of us have different roles again. But, you know, I, I love the ways that art can can open people up to thinking about things. Definitely, think, yeah. You know, so often people are, are on a track of yes or no. I, I, be, I believe in this person, that person, you know. I, and I, and I, you know, I fault myself with that too. There are times when, you know, if words come out of a certain person's mouth, um, my assumption is they're going to be stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we're all guilty of that a little bit. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I'm not talking about friends. I'm talking about people with big power. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <Understood. Anyway. laughs> I don't like I'm not mean to people I'm around, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting time. It really is. So what's what's going to be happening in your life in terms of in general now that you're out of college at the moment? What kinds of projects are you launching into that are the ones that like fill your week in addition to writing? Well, I mean, actually, it's more writing, but I'm doing some freelance work right now. Uh -huh. um, a little bit of travel writing um, uh -huh. because um, Philly is so close to the Jersey Shore and all the tourist areas. Um, in that region. So that's kind of what I'm working on day to day. And mm -hmm. then um, really most of my free time is, is, I don't know if it's by choice or just I'm unable physically to stop myself, but it's just mm -hmm. been tinkering with my manuscript, working on stuff. And then, and then also taking some time to come back to music because when I was in school studying poetry, I didn't have a lot of time to kind mm -hmm. of devote to that. So that's been nice that I've had some some, you know, I won't, I won't even say free time because I think it's it's kind of something that I sacrifice other things for, but yeah. just um, time to to devote to that. Yeah, and and I'm one who says, you know, we show what's really important to us by how we spend our time as well as our money. So you're being able to get back to music and tell us about that. You and your music. Um, so I um I started playing the piano. I think I was I was seven. Um, mostly because all my other friends were, were doing athletic things and they had extra extracurricular activities and I, I was never athletic, so I wanted to do something. And we got this brochure in the mail for piano lessons. So I think I, I was maybe like one of three kids ever who actually enjoyed and wanted to take piano lessons uh -huh. when they were that young. And so I, I started playing then and I've, I've been playing ever since. And then at some point, probably early high school, I started writing my own songs. And I've, I've performed a few times and I've been looking to sort of maybe record a demo or an EP or something. But, but again, I just haven't had time until now. So it's been really exciting to think about maybe what I could do with that now that I don't have school hanging over my head. So we'll see what happens with that. 
Do you, do you see yourself playing with other people? Um, not at the moment, just because I feel like there, I have a backlog of, of music that I that I still have to record or tinker uh -huh. with in some way. But I do have my 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 boyfriend actually um, is a musician. Um, we've been together for a while, and he has he has a band that he doesn't have um, all of the instruments that he needs because his entire um, discography is self produced. So he needs somebody to fill in the gaps in that mm -hmm. respect. So I mm -hmm. might be playing with him. Uh -huh. But other than that, in terms of my own music, it's something that I've. I still kind of am interested in pursuing by myself, at least for the moment, but we'll see. There's still a lot up in the air. Last night I was listening to uh, uh, our local public radio station. Um, uh, uh, the person, Kay McIntyre, was doing an interview with Kevin Rabus, who's the newly chosen poet laureate of Kansas. And uh, Kevin is a jazz musician and a poet and, and writer of other genres as well. And he was talking about one of the things that he wants to do during his tenure, the two years as Poet Laureate, is to inspire more events, more performances that are music and poetry, which is something that, that he does with poetry, with music behind it, as well as him just, not just, but him doing his music um, separate from his poetry. And so I'm wondering, have, have, is there a part of you that's that's looking at for you whether your poetry and music will connect at some point? It's, I've always kind of seen them as, as separate entities, even though they obviously influence each other. But I do think that there's room to explore that because, again, it, it's something that it seems like the connection would be so clear, but it's something that I've never personally sort of delved into. So might be something to, to explore in the future. Yeah. Have you have you been to readings where there was music um, performing, being performed, I'm going to say behind the poet, you know, as, as background to the poet? Have you experienced that yet? Uh, once, I don't even know if it was it was intended to be this way, but I went to an off offsite reading. I went to the AWP conference in Washington D.C. in February, and I went to an offsite reading. Um, in it was in I think it was a bar or a jazz club, and uh -huh. the reading took place upstairs. So mm -hmm. it was really great because it was really intimate upstairs, and there were a few people sitting and listening. And then um, below, you could hear um, a band playing jazz. So there was, there was just a nice interplay there, and it's—I uh -huh. I, that's the first time I ever experienced that. It was—it was really nice. It really, you know, added to the dynamic of everything. Yeah. So that was kind of serendipity because two things going on in different levels of the building, but then yeah. that, that got your interest in in one of the um, events that that I I host this event on World Suicide Prevention Day that we call Words Save Lives uh, with music and poetry and comedy and stories. And and one year, um, a poet, Mark Hennessy, was accompanied by a friend on a stand-up bass, not just not just a bass, but a stand-up bass, that he was playing instead of with a bow. You'll know the word. I can't think of the word right now. But inside of the piano, what actually hits, you know, that you know what I'm talking about? What, what do you call that that thing that actually hits that makes the sound inside the piano? I think they're just hammers. Are, are they just hammers? Yeah. No, I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought you would know for sure, and I wasn't sure. Anyway, Cliff used <laughs> one of those. He had one of those hammers from a piano that he was using to play. And so there was this, this 
image, you know, of these two guys and Mark who's the poet and, and Cliff with this gigantic bass and this unusual way of playing it. And all of that together had this wonderful, wonderful impact. And and so I, you know, I think about different ways that that I've seen music heard and seen music and poetry together. And and it really, really enhances the experience. And then I know a lot of poets I've I've met who who some of their poetry is specifically about their about music experiences that I think for some people like Kevin, there, Kevin Ravis, there's a lot of connection between, for example, jazz and poetry. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops for you. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And before we take a break, if you're willing, I'd love to have you share another poem. Sure. Um, so this one is called Saved. I once fell for a guy who loved Jesus and wanted me to love him too. Not like a fire and brimstone howler on the street corner, but a man trying to acquaint you with his best friend. Like your best friend trying to set you up on a blind date with someone they work with. Like he hoped one day to invite both of us to the same bar, and when Jesus looked up from his water glass of Merlot, I would know exactly who it was, no introduction needed. Just, hi, I've heard a lot about you, and that would be that. Maybe I could order him a three wise men, and the three of us would share a smile in on the same joke. He, in turn, fell for the Jesus-shaped face he saw inside of me, not like a particular need or a calling, but a vague opening where if you jammed him in hard enough, the Lord might have fit. But the curiosity that he admired was not invitation, not ignorance, not a void aching to be filled, only a love letter to the unknown, a reverence toward the many ways people like him tried in vain to shed some weak and incomplete light. Two wires had simply crossed when they weren't supposed to, and here he was, pining for me to step out and stop feeling around in the dark. He didn't understand that I like it in here, that my own awe is the only thing I have any interest in believing. One night, he said over instant message that he felt Jesus lightly tapping at my soul, and suddenly the Lord was no longer a friend of a friend that I might like to meet someday, and more like an older man in a bar who won't leave me alone. Each prayer sent up for me without consent, an uneasy look that he mistakes for some kind of subtle advance. Now I picture him purring in my ear that he can turn water into wine, his one-off gimmick bar trick that he thinks will let him take me home. I picture myself numbly sipping my drink and hoping he'll leave. I picture his friend hovering behind him with a kind of mechanical smile and later asking me, doesn't it feel so good to finally be saved? Years later, when I shut off my light and lie there in the black, waiting for the drowsiness to hit, I can still imagine the unholy strain in his voice. That's it. Wow. So that's a poem that could win you friends or enemies, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> was that related to As they often experience? are. You know, was that related that to That actually is a real experience. Yeah. I really, I really... In high school, I, I actually met a guy who who um, wanted me to convert to to Christianity and all mm. of those good things that come with that. So yeah. it's, it's kind of based off of that. And then I just, it, it started out being about that and then it turned into just this really interesting image that's maybe a little bit sacrilegious, but that's okay. Yeah. It's your art. And it gets people thinking, you know, and it, thinking in a sure. lot of different ways about, you know, how... I always find it as a dilemma that, you know, when people are really 
advocating for something they believe in, in this case, a certain kind of religion, they really believe that they're doing the right thing for other people. Yeah. Although the person who it's being imposed upon may not agree. So it's, it's, it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. We need to take a little break here and hear from a couple of the businesses in Lawrence, Kansas that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And then we will be right back. And this is my chance to say, Hey, thank you, Daniel Smith for doing the stuff that has to be done so people can hear the show. And we'll be back for more Talk With Me with Kat Giordano in just a minute. Welcome back to Talk With Me on LawrenceHits.com. This is Marcia Epstein, and my guest today is Kat Giordano, who has been... Hi. Hey, you've been performing <laughs> in Pennsylvania. You're going to be performing in Buffalo, New York on July 22nd. You're writing, writing, writing. <laughs> Excuse me. And you're a musician as well. I'm getting back to that. <coughs> Excuse me. In terms of your music, I know you said you're going to get a chance to pursue that some more. And do you have do you have kind of themes in your music as you do at times with your poetry? I, I actually referred to it one time as my, my music is the way for me to get my sort of like base emotional impulse out. And then poetry is a, is a realm where I sort of spend a little bit more time um, sort of like working with images and working with themes. So I think where my poetry looks inward as well, but I think with my music, a lot of it is very, um, I can't think of, of a positive way to put this, but it's very navel-gazing. It's very <laughs> focused on directly, directly kind of representing my own feelings at the time. And I don't know, I don't know if that's, that's inherent to the way I think about music necessarily, but just the way that I've used it as part of my creative process, at least mm-hmm. so far. Mm-hmm. With that, it would make me wonder whether it sometimes what you do with music when you get back to it will inspire some poetry because it sounds like oh, it's, sure. it's yeah. expressive at a deeper level for you. And do you actually play a, a, a piano or do you use electronic at this point? I've never owned a real piano, sadly. So I use, I use an electronic. It's full size. It's a full keyboard. I've had uh-huh. the same, I've had the same one. So since I started playing, it's finally, it's finally dying out. So that's a little bit sad, but I've, I've had the same one this whole time. Never had a real piano, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Have you, have you played much on a real piano? Like when you. Oh yeah. I think that's part of, it's part of why I continue to take lessons way well into high school. I think I was still taking, taking lessons when I was 18, but for the most part, I was showing up to my lessons to, to play a nice piano and then to, to talk to my, my teacher who was really great and, and get her advice on the songs I was proposing. And I, uh-huh. so I think, I think a lot of that was, was paying to, to sit in a room and then use a nice piano. Cause there's, there's a different feeling to it. It's a little bit more tactile uh-huh. and you can do a little bit more. The, the, the keyboard that I have is, is touch sensitive and it sounds fairly realistic but there's a lot more you can do in terms of expression physically that mm-hmm. with a real piano than you can do with something electronic so that mm-hmm. was always really nice to have that chance yeah well see and I was thinking about that in some ways as as the the parallel to journal writing which you do on paper and other writing that you do on technology and that there is a different experience of, of creation in those different ways. So, so I love that you pointed that out, that the actual piano is different than playing on the keyboard. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Very interesting. Different things that are their strengths, I would imagine, in terms of 
the way sounds can be adjusted, formed, you know, whatever the potentials of each might be slightly different. But a keyboard is definitely more portable. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, and portable, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that did that go to college with you? Did you have it? It did. did. <laughs> to my parents, to my parents, this may having to somehow fit that into the car. They'd go to college with me all, uh -huh. all four years. <laughs> yeah, a big thing, though. It's funny how those decisions oh, were yeah. made. When my son was given the chance to, to play music in public school, his first choice of instrument was that he wanted to play the stand-up bass. And I said, I'm really sorry, but you can't play the stand-up <laughs> bass because it won't fit in my car. <laughs> so he went to cello as the compromise. <laughs> That's close, at least. <laughs> It was a great foundation for a lot of other playing, so that was that was a good thing. And that, but it was one of those weird things. It's like I I can't deal with an instrument that I don't know how to carry in the car. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm not sure. There's some logistical constraints there. Yes, and I've seen that people who have their own instruments actually do do yeah. they they do carefully disassemble to be able to fit into smaller spaces it was not sure. just me and my car that was challenged but anyway <laughs> so, so music and poetry what other kinds of things do you love to do um uh, really i fill up the majority of my time with music and poetry to be honest uh -huh. um uh -huh. i do i mean also i obviously really enjoy reading and then i do um just as as a way to wind down, I really just I really just like love playing video games, which I think is interesting because it seems maybe a little bit out of left field, but it's it's something that winds me down and isn't related in any way to like uh -huh. my creative sort of process. So that's the one thing I do when I really don't have the emotional or mental energy to stomach doing anything else. But for the most part, most of my hobbies are very creatively intense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you have a poetry community that you're particularly connected with when now that you're outside of the school environment? Um, most of that occurs online for me. Mm -hmm. I know that there are poets in Philadelphia that I can potentially kind of get in with and connect with. It's something that I haven't explored yet just because I've been still sort of settling in post-college. But mm -hmm. I actually started... Um, so last summer, I was fortunate enough to go to the Chautauqua Writers Festival, which is in New York. Um, and I was I attended a workshop with Stephen Dunn, and I met a bunch of poets there uh, that I've kept in touch with. And then this summer, I decided I was going to start in an online poetry workshop, which is which is just conducted over social media. I've I've really only just started that, but that's 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 something that was important to me because I wanted to have some kind of connection to those people mm -hmm. and some kind of connection to poetry that was community based. Um, even when I couldn't be in person with, with the people that I was currently connected with. So, mm -hmm. And then I was actually able to connect with a few Philly poets there as well. We haven't really we've spoken except for briefly, but so that, that, could, that could turn out to be a venue mm -hmm. where I could, you know, have some, some sense of community in mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. Have you lived in Philadelphia before? Um, so I actually, I grew up here. I was okay. born here. Um, and then I only moved away to Erie for college for four years. Um, this is this is the longest I've really spent here in, in a while, but I actually live about um, 10 to 15 minutes outside the city in the suburbs right now with my parents. Um, but but I've lived in this area for for my entire life. So, <laughs> yeah. And and my sense is that there's a lot going on with art of different kinds in, in that area. And oh, yeah, definitely. and then other parts 
you know, think about Pittsburgh and, and then those people close, you know, in the Cleveland area and the, lots of hubs of, of really great poetry stuff going on in lots of places. Definitely. Yeah. Will you have the opportunity, um, like with the event in Buffalo, we have the opportunity to go to other places to perform with other poets? Is that something you see? Um, hopefully it's something, um, you mentioned Jameson. We've been talking about that. It's something that's in the works. We don't really have any specifics yet, but it's definitely something that, that I'm interested in pursuing and he seems to be interested in pursuing. So mm-hmm. hopefully I'll have some news about that soon. Yeah. Well, Jameson Bales is quite adept and committed to, to bringing poetry. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that, that in addition to working on his own writing and performing that, he, he has. Definitely lucky that he found me. Yeah. How did you guys connect? Do you know? Well, I, I think, I, I remember we, we connected originally over social media. That's actually where all of our interactions uh-huh. occurred so far. Um, I think the, the Poet Laureate reading, because there were there were pictures posted and, and my name had come up, and I think I was the only person in that cast of characters that he didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, so he reached out to me, but it was a while before he, he ever actually said anything, introduced himself. Um, and then a few months ago, he, he kind of cold introduced himself to me. Uh-huh. This is who I am. I was wondering, you know, if you wanted to do a reading in, in Buffalo this summer. And I jumped on the opportunity immediately. I was really excited because mm-hmm. I that, thus far didn't have any plans for after graduation. So I was thrilled. I was like, you know, sure, definitely. And we slowly hammer out the details. And um, he's been really great about kind of, introducing me to, to some other people and mm-hmm. helping me sort of get out of my shell because as of right now I'm a little bit um, physically in terms of like geographically where I am isolated from, from a lot of people that I know who are connected mm-hmm. with poetry so it's been really great to, to sort of have somebody to help facilitate that a little bit. Yeah and and I'm, I'm gonna say in the best of ways that I think Jameson is also committed to to mentoring to helping young women poets because of a very Definitely. dear friend of his, Dory Renee Hogan, mm-hmm. who died in a car crash um, and was a, a friend and poet who had a lot of positive influence on Jameson. And, sure. and Dory's death had a huge impact on him. And I know he started a contest for younger women poets to be able to um, submit a manuscript that would ultimately get poet published. And so I think that's, that's, that's what I wanted that wanted to qualify with in the best of ways. He, he is very oh, yeah. dedicated to helping young women poets um, kind of in, I'm thinking in honor of his friend Dory, which is a beautiful gift. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll be doing poetry and I'm going to ask the, the boring question. So what do you do for your day job? Because I don't know many people who do poetry for their day job. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately not. I'm, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing that that freelance travel writing. That's what's uh-huh. sort of bringing in my income at this point. Uh-huh. Um, trying to pick up pick up some more of that. See where that takes me. Very open. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's what I'm working on right now. So you're actually getting to stay in the writing area. You'd mentioned the travel writing, and I didn't know if that was. Um, enough that it was keeping you going or whether you had to also be doing something else it seems like so many artists I, I mean <laughs> yeah for now I mean I'm living with my parents so it's not, it's not exactly ideal but but uh-huh. it's 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 picking up so yeah so you're getting the time do you see yourself going back to grad school at some point like are you wanting to be involved in academics 
helping other people get inspired to do poetry in that way or <laughs> that not sound funny like story that? yeah <laughs> so I um I actually for the majority of, of my my senior year of college I was very very um kind of hell-bent on on going to grad school and getting my MFA right out of undergrad I applied I got into some programs and it turned out wasn't really financially viable for me so mm-hmm. I I very disappointingly had decided to take a gap year but mm-hmm. I always I, I wanted to teach and I wanted to, to be a mentor to young people especially because mm-hmm. I feel like the, the influence that older people have had on me has been so profound between mm-hmm. you know being in school growing up and going to college and then even now with with you know getting the opportunity to read in Buffalo and mm-hmm. but I think now that now that I've sort of even just taken a, you know a couple of months out of school I am realizing that there are kind of ways to get involved with with a community that don't involve um, academia and, and don't involve some kind of formal um, sort of structure for, for mentoring and teaching other people so so now I feel a little bit more open and I've kind of always walked a very a very fine line between do I consider myself an academic do I not consider myself an academic what does that mean mm-hmm. what kind of communities does that allow me to, to consider myself a part of so mm-hmm. it's still something that I'm really figuring out I thought I had it all figured out and, you know as, as I'm sure is, is obvious to everyone else I, it turns out I really don't so I'm, I'm really not sure well, I think that's a good answer. You know, I think that at 22, I hope you haven't had to decide your whole the rest of your life, you know, There's yeah. a lot before you, a lot of experiences that, you know, inform that, that give us ideas about, you know, what might be interesting that we hadn't even thought about, you know, and, right. and as you're saying, there's lots of opportunity to connect with other writers in a lot of different ways that, that don't, aren't limited to one must be a teacher at some level to do that in a positive way, you know, then, and I think that's, that's really great that you have the opportunity right now to spend time working on your writing and your music and you're taking that opportunity. And that's, that's really, that's really great. And that the, the connection, as you've mentioned, happening through social media with other writers, you know, I think that's, that's such an important thing that, and we think about that's different for people now than poets in the 60s and 70s, and cetera, that, you know, that there wasn't that thing of the Internet and being able to get people together in that way. Sure. And, and there's uh, so much good that happens, I think, when people have more access. But I'm also always the advocate for people spending money buying books. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, published and you want people to buy your book um, that's an important thing for for people to um, in terms of audience whether that's other writers or other people in general that you know that that we show our commitment to the arts by spending some of our money as well as our time there you know so so I love being able to talk to people and it's great that it's you know there's a lot of poetry available online from different people but you know, going in person and being able to buy even a simple chapbook that looks like folded eight and a half by 11 white paper, <laughs> you know, photocopied, you know, even that is, is a way to say, hey, you know, I value what you're doing. And, and I want to have this reminder of what I heard you do at the mic today, because, you know, what you're doing really resonates with me. I think that's, that's an important thing for, for, People, you know, people listen to the show. Maybe you'll get to see 
at Giordano at some reading in your area at some point. You know, maybe you're in Buffalo, New York, maybe you're in Philly, and there'll be some poetry event where she's there. And and then when you can also say, hey, you know, I, I was able to to buy something from her, you know, and, and to support sure. her work. That, that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. And it is it's, up to us. I mean, if, if you know, we're, we're, you, and that's something I'm learning too. You can't, you can't be navel gazing and you can't be too self-focused because at the end of the day, the people that are supporting small presses and supporting you as a writer are other writers and you kind of have to, you know, throw your stuff into that as well. And, and, you know, be interested and be involved because that's where that sense of community comes from. It's not going to come from somewhere outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so part of what you're talking about too is, you know, reading, 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 getting exposed to other people's art, going to other people's events, staying when you're at an event where you're on the bill, you know, there's, sure. It's, I, and I understand everybody has time limits. And I had this discussion with my son who does stand up comedy about, do you go to a show and just do your thing and leave? Or do you stay for the whole show? And his response was, <laughs> I can't always stay for the whole show. And so a lot of times I pop in and perform and leave. And I'm like, oh, that's just, you know, it's like when you can stay, stay. Show your support for other people too. Don't just Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I understand people have limits on their time and what they can do. Sure. But there, there are a variety of ways that people show support, and and some of it is by performing together, you know, and encouraging each other, um, which is a really, really good thing. I, I imagine I, I don't know whether you have this yet. Some people have um, kind of their go-to um, first readers who help with editing. Do you do you have that set of people for now for you, or are you pretty much doing it on your own? Um, right now, I mean it's still kind of people connected to college. So I, I still send stuff to my professor who was my thesis advisor because he knows I work really well and he's kind of become a friend to me. And then I, I it's interesting because I, I think, think I really get something from sending my poetry to people who are poets or who aren't even writers. Um, Cause they don't always know exactly what to fix or what's not working, but I think just hearing them react and hearing them respond definitely gives me a perspective that I wouldn't normally get. And that perspective is is really important to me yeah. of people who who don't know what they're looking for, but but know that something's good when they when they see it. Uh -huh. I just that's something that I that I really put a lot of emphasis on. Mm -hmm. That's great. And continuing to read new new people's work as well as having people. Read oh yeah. Do you have some some poets that you've been reading a lot lately? I actually for my. Um, for, for as a graduation present, I guess from from my professors, they got me a, a selected works of Russell Edson, who I had never heard of, but I was starting to get into prose poetry. And he's he I actually don't even know if he if he's still alive or not. So I'll say he is. He's 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 a um, a prose poet, and his his work is is really it's it's surreal. It doesn't really make any sense. It's like reading a riddle, but it's just so interesting and it's just something so out of left field that I've never seen before so I've just gotten really into it and I'm, it's almost like I'm, I'm savoring it I don't want to finish the uh -huh. book because apparently his other work is very hard to come by so uh -huh. I'm trying to make it last as long as I can <laughs> keep the experience of reading it for the first time for as long as possible uh, cool how do you think they chose that that author to to send to you to give to you what was that I'm sorry 
how, how do you think that particular writer was the one that they chose to give to you? I think I, I needed I needed some sort of validation that it was okay to just experiment with with anything and not and not worry so much which which I guess I guess everyone else struggles with as well but but for instance in my in my thesis there's there's one thread throughout there's a set of prose poems that I wrote where the titles of the poems are tweets by Will Smith's son, Jaden Smith, uh-huh. and the things that he tweets are, are these really cryptic, pseudo-philosophical statements. And I've always, it's something that I, I just like taking things that aren't poem things and trying to make them poetic. Uh-huh. And it's something that I like to do, but I don't see a lot of people doing it, or I haven't been exposed to a lot of people who are doing that. So I think they were like, let's just, let's give her something that's, that's also similarly kind of experimental out of left field. And it gave me a sense of validation almost that I was doing, that what I was doing was considered poetry, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Well, have you done some poems that, that in essence are some poems, excuse me, that are in essence lists? Because I've, I've been at, open mics and heard people do stuff that came together beautifully. And I, and I think about um, a poet and performer in Kansas city um, whose uh, performance name is misconception. And she Hmm. sometimes uses song titles and, and combines those in ways that create a poem. Um, So, so interesting ways of taking things that are known and putting them together, and definitely they are poetry, but a different kind of poetry in that that list that becomes this poem. Yeah, so. I think I've done some of that. I actually there is a poem that I'm still working on. I don't think it's finished yet, but but I, I was particularly upset about the about the way that people have been talking about my generation, talking about millennials and the media and things like that. So I started writing this list poem that was like you know the most millennial things I've ever done, and some of it some of it's tongue in cheek, and you know then some of it's some of it's serious. So that's you know that's a similar kind of thing I've been working on. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we're going to be in the last few minutes of the show, and we've done a lot of talking about what you're doing, which is cool to get to know you. And I love the way we get to know you through actual poems that you share. So how mm-hmm. about another poem or two? Sure. So so this is the last one that I had prepared, and I think it's fitting because it's actually the end of my manuscript, too, and it's called To You After You've Read My Poem. So it's meant to kind of be an, an ending, an ending okay. poem. So I think that this is kind of fitting. I've made you angry. You wanted me to provide a service, and now that it's over and I haven't shown you what you were looking for, you feel ripped off, cheated, tricked. But consider the persistence of memory, how when the novelty fades, it can't help but remind you of what your old friends used to draw in basements with magic marker, heads full of acid. Most artists can only see what you saw then, can only feel that stinging disenchantment you felt when you realized on seeing them in person that your idols are flat and crude imitations, tangible extensions of emptiness failing to provide the answer you were looking for. Most paintings are small. Most painters don't know a thing about being or oblivion. You could say most are just screwing around. Let me tell you now, I never claim to know a thing about nothingness or how you should live. My poems 
cold wax sculptures just real enough to entice you to touch them. Like the Mona Lisa is a pretty girl you lust after until you learn she's not over her high school bullies and her terrible parents. Yes, it's tragic, but isn't it also beautiful the way you ache when she makes you remember? Isn't it beautiful the way the crowds gather around her still, desperate and odd to be lost there together, squinting at her tiny image through the glass? Lovely. And that, you said, Thank is you. the final form of your manuscript, which are you seeing that as something that at some point will be published? Oh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you have that to look forward to, listeners, that there will be. And, you know, it's one of those things where we can't guarantee the time and publisher at this moment, but but some printed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Printed collections of poetry coming during the career of Kat Giordano. And the next event where you will be performing will be in Buffalo, New York on July 22nd with Jameson Bales, Jason Baldinger, Steve Brightman, Matthew Bosk, Jasmine Shanice, Jennifer Skelton. And it's organized by Nathaniel William Stolte. So this is with Cringeworthy Poets Collective at the Second Reader Bookshop in Buffalo, New York. And I will have that information in print on the announcement of the show, because I don't assume everybody could remember all of that. But it sounds like you'll be <laughs> doing more music, more poetry, and have more opportunities for people to hear your poems coming up. We just need to watch, right? Yes. OK. Thank you so much, Kat. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. You're welcome, and so long to our listeners.